The food came, and it was good. I cleaned my plate, paid my tab, and left the restaurant a half an hour later. In the distance, the sky had turned an ominous slate gray, and the heavy clouds seemed to boil as they gathered and marched doggedly towards the town in their path. I'd gone no more than five or six yards when suddenly I heard a voice call my name, and someone grabbed hold of my sleeve and tugged me around. Caught unawares, I had no option but to turn and face my aggressor. As I completed my pivot, I was in no way surprised to find the tall, belligerent-looking man who had been watching me earlier. At once I was on my guard, for there was something about the fellow that reeked of trouble, quite apart from the bullish way he had accosted me. I got a better look at the face under the stiff, curled brim of his black buckeye. His cheeks were full, and his nose was small, but of the type some call Roman. A heavy mustache obscured his upper lip and curled down to below the corners of his somewhat pouting mouth, and below the mouth his face just slid straight down into his neck with hardly any chin to speak of. He gave me his bleak appraisal again. The thumb of his left hand was hooked into his shell belt, with his right hung loose at his side, his wrist constantly brushing against the grips of his colt. At last he said, "'Ear Coulter? Ash Coulter?' I had a very bad feeling about him, but knew better than to show it. Trying to sound reasonable and even friendly, I said, "'I'm Coulter.' "'Jack Page's partner?' he pressed, as if he wanted to be absolutely sure of my identity." I nodded carefully, aware now that a few passers-by were breaking stride to glance around at us, for he did not believe in moderating his tone at all, this one. His lips curled disdainfully and said, "'You don't look like much to me. I was expecting something more.' "'Do I know you?' I asked. He shook his head no, but satisfied as to who I was, he spread his feet a little and bent his right arm at the elbow to bring his hand that much closer to the butt of his gun. I frowned and said, "'Just... What do you think you're playing at? He said, I'm not playing, and he flexed his fingers expectantly. I had known what was coming all along, of course, or if not exactly known it, at least suspected quite strongly that this encounter would turn ugly sooner rather than later. My heart began to beat slightly faster, my breathing to grow shallower, my throat to dry up, turn scratchy. It had always been that way for me. Some men talk of the pleasure that comes before the kill, I had only ever known this far less palatable reaction. Narrowing my gaze at him, I said, Have I ever wronged you, son? He said, No. As Jack? Again, no. Why have you come looking for a fight? I asked. A brief, edgy smile tugged at the line of his mouth, and he made his mustache stir momentarily. Don't you know? I knew. Lord, he wasn't the first of his kind I'd come across, and neither was he the last. In essence, he was a nobody looking to become somebody. He had no skills to speak of, save an ability to use a six-gun, and he genuinely believed that the best way he could make his name was to gun down an even bigger name and add that man's reputation to his own. I looked at him. He was more of a boy than a man, and not only in his physical appearance— I looked into his eyes. They were sharp and tricky, and yet if you looked deeper, you could also see an almost painful naivete in them. He was doubtless poorly educated, and he knew little of real life. He wanted wealth and fame, but he didn't want to work for it, and he didn't have the patience for that. He just wanted the rewards, not the hard work that came before the rewards. I knew that if he hadn't challenged me, he would have challenged somebody else eventually. It was just my bad luck and his even greater misfortune to have heard, probably from the hotel clerk, that I was in town.
He was an accident waiting to happen, and I did not want to be the man who taught him the final irreversible lesson of his folly. But what if I had underestimated him, that he really knew how to use that gun he kept so well? What if it was my life we were measuring here on this crowded street in Fort Rye, Colorado? I said, I have no argument with you, son. Go on your way, and I'll go mine. I began to turn away from him, and he said, You stay right where you are, you son of a bitch. Again, he reached out for me. I felt his right hand come down hard on my shoulder, and I shrugged him off, turning back to him, and I hit him in the face. The blow did not carry as much force as it could have, but it still rocked him backwards. He fell off the sidewalk and spilled into the muddy street, his lips split, his face a mask of fury. I had not wanted to hurt him, but perhaps my blow might knock some sense into him. I turned away from him again. My stomach felt so taut that it was as if my intestines were being wrung dry. He yelled my name, but I still kept walking, feeling the eyes of passerbys shuttling between the two of us now, just waiting for the inevitable to happen. Coulter! he yelled. I kept walking. No man turns his back on Dick Mills, damn you! he screamed. One more pace. One more. One more. Coulter! he screamed. My pulses racing. I kept walking away from him, hating the idea that all the people in the street would think that I was a coward for retreating this way, but knowing it was just the price I must pay if I were to avoid the killing I so despised. Coulter! yelled this Mills. Coulter, your father was a cur. Do you hear me? He was a scrap-eating, mangy-coated dog. My steps faltered, but I still continued away from him. And your mother! he cried. She was not but a whore. I stopped suddenly and just stood there, buffeted by the blustery wind. I did not care to see my parents badmouthed by anyone for whatever reason, and for a moment then I nearly turned around and gave this fellow exactly what he wanted, a gunfight. But at the same time, I knew why he was saying these things. He was trying to goad me into obliging him, and I would not fall for it. I took another pace. Heard Mills scream something that was distorted by his rage, and in the very next moment someone else, one of those passers-by who had halted on the other side of the street, called out in a desperate voice, Mister! There was something in that yell that set warning bells ringing inside my head, and I twisted around fast, just as Mills, now back on his feet, closed his right hand around his colt. I could no longer afford the luxury of ignoring him. He had just taken that away from me, and now, whether I cared for it or not, I must shoot this man before he shot me. What happened then was an automatic reflex. My right hand came around, my fingers closed on the edge of my jacket, I flipped it back out of the way, thanking God that I had not rebuttoned it after having opened it at the restaurant, and then swooped for my four forty two. Meanwhile, Mills had cleared leather. His face was contorted by a rage he had no real cause to feel against me. I felt no hatred in return. Why should I? Disgust, perhaps, that he should feel that this was the only way he could improve his standing in the world, but no hatred. He fired his colt. The gun bucked in his hand, and the amber flame spat from the barrel. I stood my ground, knowing that he had made a shot hastily, and that the odds were heavily against it hitting me, and as calmly as I knew how in such circumstances, I brought my atoms up and fired back at him. The bullet struck Mills in the shoulder, and he hunched up beneath the impact and staggered backwards. Over on the other side of the street, a woman screamed, and the sound cut right through me. I did not move again, not at once. Momentarily deafened by the gun blast, I was waiting to see what Mills would do. I hoped he would drop his gun and sink to his knees, and then someone else could send for a doctor. But somehow, I knew 
It wouldn't be that simple. Instead, he fixed me with that hate-filled glare again and brought his colt back up onto me. I yelled, Give it up, man! But he ignored me, and with no other choice in the matter, I shot him again, and this time blood splattered from out of his shirt, and he cried out as he corkscrewed around and fell sideways off the sidewalk. I knew in that instant that he was dead, that I had killed him. Somehow, everyone else on that bustling street knew it as well. And as I let my gun hand drop back to my side, they began to surge forward to get a closer look at the corpse I had just made. I felt tired beyond my years, suddenly too weak to resist them as they caught me up in their forward tide and pushed me inexorably along until I found myself standing over the body. In death, Dick Mills looked better than he had in life. His face had taken on that awful, waxy pallor I knew so well. His eyes looked vaguely dreamy. He looked as if he had died midway through a blink. His mouth was open, his tongue was caught between his teeth, and there was blood on it where he had bitten into it. I wanted to be sick. The sky darkened ominously. The street was absolutely silent. It was then that the storm finally struck. Fat raindrops began to pound the roofs and overhang and gathered into puddles on the street. I watched it slap Dick Mills in the face and dilute his blood so that it blurred like watercolor. Around me the rubberneckers hurried for cover, but I just stood there and let the wind-driven rain lash me, hoping against hope that it would cleanse me, that it would wash away my guilt, the killing curse that fate had bestowed upon me. But it didn't. It didn't.